and just to see them start out the trip nervous and you know a little shake in their voice and then by a day and a half later uh they're wanting to go you know rub elbows with whoever i can get them in to see and that's that's the beauty of this wife and our trip uh, we see it every time and that's that leadership development side of Farm Bureau. Most people may reach out to their congressman for a capital tour, but the people that are involved in an organization to advocate are the ones on the schedule to have meetings. We sat down in each one of their, their offices personally. You know, Some of them make time if they can't meet you in their office to meet you down the road at a restaurant or whatever. Like That's the kind of access that we can get, and that's why I'm excited to go back. Hey everybody, welcome to the Louisiana Farm Bureau podcast. I'm your host, Carl Wiggers, and today I've got Andy Brown, Commodity Public Policy and National Affairs Director for Louisiana Farm Bureau. I've also got Josh Meeks joining me. He is the newest member of the Twyla team, the communications department. He comes from a background of journalism and TV news, and he is going on his first trip to Washington, D.C., and we'll talk about that in this episode. We're talking all about Washington, D.C. and policies and issues that Andy Brown has been up there advocating on behalf of Louisiana farmers and ranchers about for really pretty much all of this month, it seems like. He's spending his February in D.C. He's made two trips with another one on the books for next week, and we're talking all about what issues he's talked about and what's going on in D.C. and issues he's carried up there. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Louisiana Farm Bureau podcast. Here we are with Andy Brown, Commodity Director. What's your title? Yeah, Commodity Public Policy, Public Policy National Affairs Director. It's a lot. Yeah. You do a lot. You wear a lot of hats. And Josh Meeks is joining us for this first episode of this podcast. You've been here for a minute, but we haven't gotten you onto the pod until now. So welcome, Josh. Yeah, good to be here. Thank you. Today we're talking about D.C., Washington, D.C. I know you've been there, Andy, now what, twice this month Yep. with another trip coming up. So What's been going on on your trips? Why have you been going? What are these trips about that you've gone on so far this month? Well, February in D.C. often is ag month because it's the one month in the year where there's very little growing or happening. So it's a time we can get farmers up there, uh, which is my primary goal. That's why I'm not uh, federal lobbyist Andy Brown or, you know, D.C. Um, guru Andy Brown because because that's my job. So every time I've been up there, farmers have been up there, and that's the strength you know, that we talk about on here a lot. But uh, started actually helping a sister organization, USA Rice, uh, helping their fly in. It was more uh, general, you know, we need a farm bill, uh, we need help with labor, uh, some, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. uh, but then followed that up with a trip uh, two weeks ago with our, excuse me, last week with um, a number of our members through Farm Bureau, uh, they had an issues advisory meeting, but we coupled that with a trip with our crawfish farmers. So uh, then we'll we'll round it out next week with our annual YFNR fly-in. Got eight young farmers I'm really excited to take, and that kind of falls in our leadership development camp. Uh, it's really kind of the pinnacle, in my eyes, of their leadership development process through YFNR to show them where all this culminates in our nation's capital and, and put them to work telling their story. Yeah. One, you mentioned the second trip you went on was issues advisory committees. Yeah. 
what is what is that for someone that maybe is not as involved in Farm Bureau? Well, if they're familiar with Louisiana Farm Bureau, we have commodity committees. That's why I'm a commodity director. I oversee uh, committees of farmers based on what they grow or raise. Um, a number of years ago, before my time, American Farm Bureau changed their structure uh, to have issues committees rather than commodity committees because what they found is that um, there was oftentimes more issues that went across commodities that needed direct attention at the national level. And so they created things like Farm Policy Committee, uh, Water Environmental Committee, Labor, uh, Technology is one we had uh, a member on, Animal Care, uh, and so on. There's, uh, I forget how many, I think uh, eight or 10 of them total. Yeah, um, if American Farm Bureau tried to keep a commodity committee for every commodity that is represented in in the American Farm Bureau, it'd be quite a quite a few to keep straight. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's already hard enough to drill down on issues, but we do see from time to time. Uh, we had a proposal in Utah for a a new wildlife um, wildlife damage advisory committee, uh, so uh, that didn't pass. But um, you know, just as things arise, they're within their bylaws. They're nimble to create those committees, and I think we had. Five. We have five uh, members. So we nominate our members from Louisiana to these various committees. They review, select uh, a handful uh, from across the states. And it's it's a neat deal to watch mm-hmm. folks from different parts of the country get together to work on issues for, you know, for their neighbors and for themselves. So you mentioned along with bringing some folks for those issues, uh, we brought some crawfish farmers up. And I think it was their first trip, right? This uh, year? Yeah, well, for Some so um, we brought our our chair and our vice chair of the committee, and then our vice chair's uh, spouse as well. Um, the Stellies are are the vice chair. Uh, they had never been to D.C. in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, J.B. Hanks, our chairman for the Crawfish Committee, uh, he had he had made the rounds in D.C. a few times, but it had been a number of years and hadn't done it with Louisiana Farm Bureau. So yeah, it was a it was a new uh, experience. But they man, they just they knocked it out of the park and. I was really impressed and, and very thankful for their presence there. Well, I included Josh in this conversation. I, I wanted him to be part of this because Josh has been covering crawfish really for the last couple of weeks, been trying to drill down on the issues. And I know you are. Been yeah, just you don't, you don't say that's been a hot topic to put in the show <laughs> yeah, and I mean, on, in know, our content. I, clearly, it, it wasn't just, you know, by chance that we sent crawfish farmers up <laughs> there right. last week. Because of that, though, what, like, I guess, what are the issues with crawfish farmers? I, I know y'all are both kind of seeing these. Josh, as a reporter, Andy, you're from seeing it from the commodity director role, but like, y'all are both talking to farmers all the time. What are you seeing? The story that the Stellies told, and they did such a great job. They had real numbers. They had, you know, they're willing to share their inner workings of their business. And the two months that they typically would have had in production, December and January, by the time we were up there, uh, they were less than 3% of their total catch. Wow. Uh, for if I, I, I heard them enough times, maybe I can recall. Uh, we'll have to fact check with Adler, but I'm pretty sure it was something like 75,000 pounds was their average for December. And they had 1,200 pounds. Uh, they had 150 some odd thousand pounds typically in January, and they had like 4,800 pounds. Wow. So uh, I I quit being an economist, so I didn't have to do math. But 
that math comes out to single digits uh, in percentage wise. So that raised a lot of eyebrows with a lot of staff because you you get tired of just giving bad news up there or telling the bad story. But three percent of somebody's gross revenue for a business that people, you know, they can understand that or really can't understand that. Like mm-hmm. it baffles their mind that that it could be that bad. And that's that's that seems to be across the board. Um, you know, I've I've been in Vermilion Parish and Acadia Parish uh, the last week, and it it's it's less about you know, you know, sounding the alarm and more about you know making do with what you have. And at what point do you reach the threshold where it's like this is not worth it anymore? And either you try to move on to the next thing, which for crawfish farmers is going to be rice, or you just fold up altogether. Um, and you know. I didn't talk directly to anybody who closed up, but both guys that I talked to uh, in the last week could point just across the street and like, well, he's not in business anymore um, because the the rice crop isn't there to to feed the crawfish. Where where normally you're seeing stubble that's that's knee waist high, you're talking like two or three inches. So the crawfish that do exist can't eat. Um, the ones that can be caught. You're talking like two or three a trap, um, and I mean that's maximum, and yep. that's that's just unheard of. Yeah, I went to the crawfish promotion board meeting this week, and the the crawfish specialist for LSU, Todd Fontenot, was there. And even down, I mean, the, the things we know about crawfish or um, continue to study and learn. But he was talking about when crawfish eat, they make a clicking sound, and that signals to other crawfish that there's food. And they come and that that's part of what gets them out and moving and out of their burrows and, you know, growing. Um, it's just crazy how much science is really behind what has happened. But I will also point out for somebody that's either not in farming or doesn't farm crawfish, but, um, you know, even just some of the stuff we read before we started recording, the, the general consumer that says, well, okay, if the money's not there, then why aren't they... Or if the, the rice stubble is not there for the crawfish, why not just shut it down? Just shut down your business and wait, and we won't buy crawfish this year, and you don't produce them, and better luck next year. That's well, not an option. Guess the the majority of the calls I've taken this week have been from bankers wanting to know about where is the assistance, what helps coming, and these bankers are looking for help to be able to write them an operating loan for their rice crop. So it's not just because they want to be able to make money to sustain, you know, to to be able to make their truck note or whatever. It's legitimately to keep their business in operation. And mm-hmm. the other side of that too is there's a lot of local businesses that all depend on that crawfish farmer and there being enough in that trap to make their business run too. And you know, it's just stuff people to take for granted. Yeah. Uh, are prices coming down a little bit? Have y'all seen? Uh, so are, is the catch picking up if prices coming down? In, in the last three weeks, um, I've seen uh, prices come down somewhat significantly. I mean, you were seeing uh, double digits, $10 plus, almost across the state for, for uh, boiled crawfish. Um, but that's starting to be back down to like five ninety nine, which is still really high for what I think what we're used to. But we're you we're used to you know a bouquet of crawfish. You know, I mean, there's just endless supply, 
And that's what we grew up with. And the last four years, that just hasn't been there. And I think, I think, you know, this may be a little bit more normal is, is what a lot of the guys described it to me. What are y'all hearing about the catch? Is it, I mean, you, you mentioned the Stellies. Yeah. So for this Mississippi hillbilly, what I've learned about crawfish since I've taken this job is, is incredible. But what people also don't understand, because they just know they go down the road to their rouses or their wherever they, you know, their local um, broker that sells live or boiled, and there's a price there. But there is a real seasonality and geography of crawfish, even within, you know, we're not talking I-10 South, I-10 North. We're talking about the south part of Vermilion Parish versus the north part. And then you move into Acadia and then you get north of I-10, but south of 190. And like it progresses through the year. And so somebody who's the furthest south, like the Stellies, they start, they may start fishing on a good year in November, while my chairman, J.B. Hanks in St. Landry Parish, doesn't even put a trap in the water until February. Mm-hmm. So um, some people's catch is starting to improve but most of that is just because the sheer volume of people attempting to fish has increased there's more traps out there than there was in january or december so part of it of that supply curve is just the number of people trying to supply it Mm -hmm. but the reality is is that where that supply or the number of people who are would be attempting the number of acres um yeah let's not even talk about who's fishing just the the acres were cut almost a quarter just by salt water or no water. So, right. you know, yes, it is improving. Will it be what folks have come to expect? No. Um, we know that crawfish has, the acreage and, and the amount has continued to really just climb year after year. And that's why people got accustomed to a dollar fifty live crawfish, um, $2 pound crawfish, because the market was starting to get oversupplied. But, mm-hmm. um, and farmers, you know, were really questioning whether to stay in it because they weren't making enough money because the price was too low. So, um, yeah, it's improving. And, and we hope that people will continue to want to consume it. We, we know they will, um, but it's, it's probably not going to be, you know, cheap crawfish right well, another soon. thing that's that's going into it is that the prices are going down but farmers are still having to spend so much more money to bring in you know these traps that have two or three crawfish in them because now you're spending more for fertilizer to to boost the rice and hopefully get it where it needs to be you talked about salt water so that's that much more pumping that needs to go well, you got to pump fresh water in on top of that you can't pump salt water at all cuz that's just going to ruin anything that you got for the future and, you know, I talked to one guy, he is just dealing endlessly with geese. And so the things that he had, he now has to go through, he's got to, he's got to rent or buy lights to set up because, you know, you can't, you can't shoot them at night and you can't ward them off with noise because that's just going to tick off all your neighbors. So the lights are the the best solution that he has, but he's only got like one or two of these, you know, generator lights that he can set up out there and that'll cover, you know, two fields out of his 1500 acres, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's such a small part. So he, he's got to rent others. He has to buy diesel to, to, to power these things. Like there's so much more now that he's having to spend just to keep 
moving the little product that he has forward. Right. And you're talking about a couple of maybe pulling traps with two or three crawfish. It costs the same thing to pull a trap with two crawfish as it does with two pounds of crawfish. Yeah. So, and one thing I think even, cause I, I mean, I knew far more about other commodities than I did about crawfish when I started. So I think even some of our Farm Bureau members, true farmers may not understand this about crawfish, but it is a commodity. It is like every other farm that is a price taker. While, yeah, a lot of farmers, um, crawfish farmers now are in, you know, either have a dock or, or are involved in one, maybe involved in a uh, peeling plant, or maybe they're in the wholesale business and they move them around. The market is still the market. The market price is not, you know, you can't just have crawfish in a cooler and as a farmer say, oh, the price fell to $6 a pound. No, I'm still going to sell them at eight because guess what? They'll just go down the road and get it for five fifty. dollars So mm-hmm. the market is still a commodity market. You're still producing, you know, now some of them, you know, they do pride themselves on, I have consistent size or I use a sorter and there's ways to try to differentiate a little bit. But at the end of the day, the consumer is going to go buy, you know, the cheap, the cheaper crawfish if they have an option to. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to D.C. What was the response, I guess? Well, how, how was it the message that your crawfish farmers that you took up to D.C.? How was how are they received, I guess, by, by D.C.? Well, I, I will say, I think if, you know, if we had our farmers in here, they would tell you, and that's, that's just the beauty of Farm Bureau and what I get to do. Most meetings we sat down in, the staff or the member said, yeah, we've talked to Andy about this and we know what y'all are dealing with. Uh, we know y'all are wanting to get an ELAP. But tell me, you know, tell me how that's affecting you. So thankfully, um, we've been working on this, uh, been telling a lot of news outlets. I've been working on this since 2020, in all honesty, not drought specific, but on this program, uh, ELAP for crawfish. So uh, the stage is set. Our our voice is very loud and clear, very heard, uh, just as much, you know, we saw the governor put out something. So you couldn't ask for more political pressure and more eyes and ears on this from a Louisiana perspective, but that's the kind of the inverse of that is we're one state with a very unique commodity that is pretty much 98% or more only grown here. So that makes it the challenge. Also in a time right now in DC where this is the least of their concerns, right? What's kind of, I guess, where are we at on farm bill or disaster relief or any of this type of stuff with the climate of DC without getting too much into the weeds? I know you're very familiar with everything in the weeds here. Well, the, I'll just set the stage this way. Um, in Louisiana, we have eight total congressional members, six house, two Senate, seven of those eight are Republicans that if we had them right here, they'd tell you they're a fiscal conservative. Everything in DC right now, um, is, what are we spending money on and how do we spend less of it? If you're, you know, if you look at uh, the leadership for the Republican side. So how did we, you know, the challenge for us was how do we fit and ask for money into that narrative? And thankfully we, you know, we're able to describe and, and it is the truth. This is not new money that we're asking for. We're not coming and, and asking, um, for billions for a new program, we're asking for 
the 30 billion that's given, well, actually it's within that 30 billion, only 20 million is allowed uh, through the farm bill for ELAP. And so USDA is going to spend, you know, close to 20 million in this program, whether crawfish is in it or not. So our message is why are other commodities um, included in this and crawfish not? And so we, that was, then everybody says, oh, well, yeah, I want to, I'm, I represent Louisiana. We're going to go to bat for y'all, no doubt. And then that's why we've seen the response is once you educate them on that side of it, then they want to go help their people any way they can. And it just so happens that we have the Speaker of the House, the Majority Leader. We have somebody on uh, Ag Subcommittee on Appropriations. We have a Senator on Appropriations. Um, and I could go on, but we have a whole lot of uh, we we fight above our weight class in Louisiana, no doubt, and thankfully in a time like this, we get to use that to our advantage. Well, let's move to the next trip. We have no, one more YFNR trip, one more DC trip coming up, and y'all are both going on it. What's uh? Is this, this Josh? This is your first time to DC, right? This will be my first trip to DC. Uh, uh, fresh for meat. myself and for Farm Bureau. I'm really looking forward to. Seeing a lot of the things that Andy has discussed actually in action, including how you sound the alarm for a Louisiana problem to become a federal problem. Well, my favorite thing, we'll have, we have eight young farmers coming. Uh, I know personally I've been with three of them on a previous trip, but let's just say there's five new, a couple of staff new. The, my favorite thing about D.C., and thankfully post-COVID, we finally got back to this point, but... Josh is going to get to walk up there as long as he doesn't have a knife in his pocket or a gun in his belt. He's going to get to walk into the U.S. Capitol through a metal detector, but that's about it, and walk straight up to his U.S. senator or his congressman, congresswoman, and tell them what he needs and directly. And there's very few countries in the world that get to do that. So uh, you can probably hear the excitement in my voice, but that's. I, and I, I got to do that, you know, last week with these crawfish farmers, even if they weren't 35 or under, they'd still had never been and never done it. And just to see them start out the trip nervous and, you know, a little shake in their voice. And then by a day and a half later, uh, they're wanting to go, you know, rub elbows with whoever I can get them in to see. And that's, that's the beauty of this wife and our trip. Uh, we see it every time. And that's that leadership development side of Farm Bureau. Most people, at best, if they're not involved in a, with a group like us, may reach out to their congressman for a capital tour or to come take a picture. I see it every time I'm up there. But the people that are involved in an organization to advocate um, are the ones on the schedule to have meetings. We sat down in each one of their, their offices personally. And even, you know, some of them make time if they can't meet you in their office to meet you down the road at a restaurant or whatever. Like that's the kind of access that we can get. And that's why I'm excited to go back. And that comes with that logo on your chest. A lot of that, a lot of that helps, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, uh, it's farm bureau I, for anyone listening. You <laughs> can't see it. I, uh, I've been talking, you know, just to friends, people at church, but I, I I've learned lately, uh, a couple of our leaders get onto me about this. Yes. I, as Andy Brown, have talents and feel like, you know, I've separated this issue and done things that maybe somebody else wouldn't know how to do, but I'd never, ever forget that if it 
had Andy Brown at the bottom without that Farm Bureau logo and my email signature, I wouldn't get the responses that I get. So that part, uh, I can describe that on this pod. I can, I mean, Carl, you know, I sell it everywhere I go because I love it. But seeing these young farmers next week or seeing Josh, who's new to work here, never see that in action, getting to see that with your own eyes is is just a, I mean, that's when I was an intern, I got to see it and I got hooked. And now I've been, you know, working for the company 10 years and, and love to do it every day. Josh, as, as, as a newbie, as Andy said, fresh meat. I don't know if anybody heard that on the podcast, but he <laughs> said fresh meat. What are you excited about? I mean, you said seeing these issues, but what are you excited about seeing in D.C., work or not work-related? Uh, I mean, you know, that's why I'm in communications is to to connect people, is to, you know, like he said, the these these young farmers and ranchers who would normally just be tolling away and far too busy um, working, worrying about their own problems to be able to connect them to their their representative, their senator, and make and enact change and and represent that change and and come out and say, you know, this is not just a statistic. This is not just um, you know, a a crawfish price issue, but it is actually a crawfish farmer issue and and put a face to that and say, you know, you know, Senator Kennedy or or Congresswoman Letlow, these are the people that 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 you represent in office and so you can take that and go forward. You know, I saw that a couple of weeks ago on a state level uh, at the that legislative dinner. And, and, you know, that was the whole purpose of that was connecting farmers to lawmakers. So that way there is a name to a face. Um, that's that's why I'm in communications. And that's the main thing that I'm excited to go up there for. The The back burner to that is I'm also really excited to go see the original six foot USS Enterprise from Star Trek in the Aviation Museum. So. There's that. Well, I'll just give you a heads up. You're going to get to eat handmade pasta at Philomena. So I've got us a reservation there. So that's, well, there we uh, go. That, you can that put alone that is worth the price on, of uh, on you know, third down the list. But. Yeah, that's that's a pretty bomb restaurant. I remember eating there with Ronnie Anderson and Jim Monroe. And I, they, were, they were telling me about, I was telling them about how my wife was giving me a hard time about all the, the, the terrible meals I'm eating in D.C. And <laughs> they, Ronnie took a picture of me with my dessert. And said, "Now you better send this to your wife, or we're going to have problems." <laughs> he made me send a picture of dessert, and it was great. And well, we can't pay him to be there, but uh, we produce food as this organization. So when when we meet, we eat, and we eat well. Yes, we do. Um, Andy, what issues? And I don't want to talk too much about issues. We talked a lot about issues. We don't have a lot of crawfish farmers going on this trip. We have some that maybe touch some of it or, or whatnot. And yeah. I think the Lees, are the Aaron and Jamie Lee going? Yeah, yeah. They um they've been moving out of rice production, rice and crawfish. Right. But I, I'll I think they still have some. Yeah. Well, but cattle is one of those things that kind of connects a lot of them. Are there any major cattle issues that y'all are going and and talking about? This? Well, we didn't really touch on it. We we joined those three or four crawfish farmers with a row crop farmer, a rice farmer, and a bunch of people from Mississippi to talk just drought in general. Um, so I don't want our other commodities to feel like all we do is crawfish. That's just my hat to wear. Uh, we got a labor seminar going on today. Madison's working on a poultry thing. So we're still covering all the bases. It's just crawfish is top of mind. But uh, So we'll talk that. We'll talk drought uh, and the need for a billion dollars or more you know which is a much taller ask we'll talk about farm bill uh we'll talk about 
Prop 12 and the the Eats Act that could help with that, that has California telling Robert Duncan how he has to grow his beef potentially. Um, so there's a lot of issues. We're never short on issues mm-hmm. um, to work. And then really the common denominator always on these trips that Brian Bro's tackling today is labor. Uh, we'll We'll talk heavy again on labor and, you know, how the price, uh, the wage rate, you know, especially for a young or beginning farmer to be dictated to what they have to pay somebody and that to increase every year, you know, just some of these small business owner kind of things and, and let a, a young person, uh, tell that story and, and how that affects their credit, you know, their ability to get a loan, all those things. What advice for someone maybe that's listening to this on an airplane or Monday morning as they're getting ready? for some of these eight or maybe somebody else that's going to be going on a trip like this in the future, what advice do you have for them to prepare for a trip like this? Uh, The the exact thing I told uh, the Stellies last week is, and this would be for anybody, you know, if you want to reach out to your elected official, it's just a conversation. It's just, if if you can tell your wife or you can tell uh, your pastor or you can tell it, you could just tell the guy at the donut shop in the morning what's going on in your business. Everybody does that every day. You know, start every conversation you do. Oh, what? Hey, man, what's going on? Or how you doing today? And you you say something. That's all we're doing. It just happens to be in the halls of Congress. And so it's sitting on a couch. It's telling what's going on in your life. You usually start talking about the weather. I mean, it's the same thing. Uh, it's just it can, you know, a little piece of information that that congressman might stick with them, he or she, um, and they remember that. And then when they come up for a vote and they don't know how it affects said cattle farmer and they can call me and say, hey, I remember that. I remember that young lady, uh, her husband was a cattle farmer, but she does like cut flowers or something. Like, who is that? Oh, yeah, Rachel Duncan. She's in Rapids Parish. And yeah, yeah. And and then there's some issue that deals with cut flowers. You know, that's the... That's the thing. I know it's way more than you asked me uh, for your question, but it is just a conversation. Uh, and the part, I guess, second secondary, I know we're trying to wrap this up, but um, I said this is kind of the, the pinnacle. These folks, these eight folks have you know, really been involved with us. Uh, I told this story uh, to a young rice farmer at uh, the rice ball last Saturday. He gave me the normal when I was recruiting him, you know, to get involved with us. Uh, oh, man, we got two young kids. You know, it's tough. I just, I love what y'all do and appreciate y'all doing it, but I just don't have time. And, you know, they wanted me to be on the parish board, but that's just a lot. And I I get it. I have a three-year-old and, you know, I, I get paid to do this, but um, I give my time at my church. I give my time to my friends. I find time for the things that are important to me. And what I think we'll be able to do hopefully for these crawfish farmers you know it has a payoff and it's worth making that investment you just got to start making it in whatever way you can get plugged in Andy Josh thank you guys so much for being with us on the podcast if you'd like to learn more about the work that Louisiana Farm Bureau is doing representing farmers and ranchers in Washington DC you can head over to the show notes where I've got links of stories and coverage from the past that I will include 
Also, if you are a young farmer and rancher and would like to go on a trip like this, get involved. We want you to be part of trips like this because we know you are leaders that we will depend on to keep Louisiana Farm Bureau strong in the future. For everyone here at Louisiana Farm Bureau and the Louisiana Farm Bureau podcast, thanks for listening. We'll see you again right here next week.